Hi, and welcome to Driving Leadership. I'm David Foster. I'm Mike Metcalf. And I'm Sean Pete. Today, we want to talk to you about culture, culture in a business. We have four, we have four questions we want to talk about. Why should a leader care about culture in a business? What culture in a business actually is made out of? How does a leader or leadership affect culture? And what can a leader do to make it better? And so I'll throw out the first question. Why should we care? I will jump in on that one. I think that culture is your, for me, everyone has a different definition, but I kind of retreat to people, process, and precedent, you know, and those three kind of make your your corporate culture, your little uh, ecosystem. And people matter, process is what you do, it matters, and then precedent. And it goes back to something we talked about, I think, last week about what's rewarded is repeated. And then also, um, people need to feel valued. And if you don't have a, a culture where people feel valued and where good things are rewarded, um, you're not going to have people stay and work for you for any length of time. You're probably not going to have happy and fulfilled people. You probably won't have brilliant people. And you probably won't have your doors open long. Dave, there's this thing currently. Have you have you heard? It? It's called the Great Resignation. I've never heard of Really? What is that? Tell me more. Right. Right. <laughs> and again, every everywhere we go, we hear this. And you know, it's a it's a result of of what's gone on the last two years, and in that last two years of being home, people have reevaluated their relationship with money, and and the question you ask is why is culture important? Because it has now become purpose over purse strings. You're not going to incentivize anyone to stay anymore, so your culture has to hold people, or else you will be part of the great resignation. I think you I think you're right on it there. I've I've always said. You can't execute a great strategy in a bad culture. So the culture stays, the culture is something that is in front of whether your strategy gets executed or not. And you're right about the great resignation. I, I was reading about this today. And according to Gallup, uh, last year, 74% of workers were actively disengaged in their job, and that was primarily due to workplace culture. So if your culture is off, your employees are not going to be engaged. And if they're more engaged, there's all sorts of ways to measure it. But in part of the same report, Gallup said that you're about 14 to 18% more productive if you're fully engaged. And your workforce is healthier, more resilient, so there's fewer healthcare costs, and it's more loyal. So I think culture is important because it sort of points to how the business operates or how well it operates. It goes back to that Peter Drucker quote that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm. Yeah, and, the, and the, the truth of the matter is if you don't have good culture, you have toxic culture. You don't have, eh, you know, okay culture. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's either brilliant or it's terrible. I think that I think that culture is more important or more impactful depending on the business. 
So I, I heard the other day somebody say, if you've got a, you know, a simple warehousing operation, culture is not going to be as important as something that's got more human connection in a, in a more complex environment. I'm not exactly sure how true that is because even in a warehouse environment, you're going to need supported and engaged employees, even if they're doing something different than, you know, what an Excel desk jockey would do. Yeah, I think I would, I agree that to more levels of engagement require more intention, but we're in warehouses and we're talking about stuff. And in some of these places, there's a ton of accidents and they're unnecessary. Mm. They have a culture of not really too concerned about anyone else, you know, and mm-hmm. that, that, so maybe, you know, maybe it's just more relative. Yeah. And I, I think that's an excuse, David. I, I, I totally disagree with that. I think, you know, you can, you can build culture anywhere you are, right? Cause culture is like the unwritten rules that govern the behaviors within a company. Mm-hmm. So if you are in a warehouse space and all your fo- forklift operators optim- uh, operate optimally, if all your people up front, all the people fulfilling orders, all the if all those people feel valued and they come to work and they're intentional and you know all the things that culture can do for your organization, that warehouse is gonna is gonna be humming, right? But if you have people that you know really don't care um, because you're like, oh, it's a warehouse, we don't need to work on our culture, you're you're not gonna be able to keep up with the other places. So, are there different levels of it? Yes, but it is important everywhere. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. I think that there are different types of emphasis about what type of culture works well. So if you've got a, uh, you know, a, a high-end ad, ad agency or a, a VC startup firm, you're going to have a very different culture than if you have a warehouse or something like a uh, NASCAR pit crew team, right? But I think the, the appropriate getting the appropriate culture is going to be the best thing for that group to perform well. And, you know, I think another reason that it's really important is that it's unpaid marketing for your company, right? Because if your employees aren't happy, if they're not recognized, if they're not supported, they're going to tell people, And it's not only going to be, you know, their family and their spouses, but it's going to be the people that they interact with. So if you have a really good culture and people are supported and happy to be part of it, that's going to reflect well on your company. And that's going to affect the communities it's in, whether it's your customers, your competition. Yeah, because that space has never been more transparent than it is right now. You know, you look at sites like Glassdoor. Right. I can go on Glassdoor and figure out what it's like to work for you. You know, I think, um, you know, and just going, going back to our point, David, I think why it is becoming more important for a, a warehouse to have great culture mm-hmm. is because, you know, we talk about the great resignation. People are scrambling to find truck drivers, people to flip burgers, um, like the, the list of jobs that people can't fill right now is staggering. Mm-hmm. So if you get someone in the door that does a great job, you really don't want to lose them, right? And, and you know, Mike and I understood that pretty early on. We, we had to compete against teams with twice our budget. So what we thought was that if we were very intentional about our culture, 
we had a chance to keep them. Now, not, not if a company came and offered them 50000 more, but if a company came and offered them, say, $10,000 more, would they think about staying? And, and so for us, our culture was built out of intention. We had to do it or we were going to get destroyed. I think about the, that free advertising uh, note you just said and thinking about the teams that did culture really well versus the teams that didn't. The teams that did, everyone wore the gear. They were happy to wear it on weekends into the grocery store, into their kids' baseball games. They were uh, less wasteful with, uh, you know, the paper towels in the bathroom. They, you know, it was just like the little things. There was more ownership. They cared about it. And, and that affects your bottom line. I mean, it's very little things that add up to, to making a really great, great workplace. And, and so much of that, like I said, dictates just on the, the culture and, and I don't know. I, I, th- I think about Sean will probably, uh, if you want to bring this up later, but, <laughs> but we had a GM once tell us, and we had worked for probably two years on trying to change the culture of this team. And it started happening. We started winning. Things were going well. Things were clicking. And one day, and I remember, and I'll never forget, he said, all right, the culture's fixed now. Let's, we need to, you know, focus back to performance. And I was like, I don't think he knows what culture means. If you can make that statement and think that culture and performance aren't connected, then, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> it's got to be that culture is is just like diversity. These are performance metrics. These are things that help move our companies forward. They are assets. And uh, I think they need to be, you know, treated that way. They need to be treated that way. And I think they need to be treated that way continuously. It's not a box that you check it's not like a diploma okay now I've got it and you know I can I can put it on my resume it's something that you constantly have to watch and when we think about the you know the jobs that are out there that are hard to fill and the the people who stay Sean you mentioned you know we can't offer somebody you know a tremendous amount of more money when we want to hire them. But part of that Gallup poll showed that it takes about a 20% pay rise over an employee's current salary to get them to move away from a good culture, right? So if they're working for you, they like what they're doing, they feel supported, they feel engaged, they're, they're a part of the team, they they probably won't switch until somebody gives them 25 30 40% more and that's a real competitive edge whether you're in a pit crew or whether you're in a you know design department or a product development department right and so i think it's really really important especially since you know we all know that it costs somewhere between 50% to 200% of a person's annual salary when they leave the company. So if you've got a $100,000 employee and it's their decision to leave, not that you fire them, but it's their decision to leave, your company bottom line may take a $100,000 to a $200,000 hit. And you only have to do that a few times a week and that really makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, it's massive. It's massive and it's, you know, it was it was a massive hit before it was hard to hire people. Mm. Now it's hard to hire people. So what that just, you know, amplifies that. 
So, so again, <laughs> why is culture important? I mean, I just I don't know how you could could not see that it is absolutely essential to have any type of success. Yeah, I agree. I just kind of realize here, all of us have a tone that's slightly defensive, and I think that's from years of arguing with people on why culture <laughs> matters. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to try to be more optimistic and positive moving forward. I'm like, man, I probably came in kind of hot there right out of the gate. But um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was something that I've always been very passionate about, you know, coming from the the teams that I, I came from, like an App State football. It's just it's built on guys and men and women that, that in that program that just couldn't cut it. They The SEC and the ACC were too you know, short, too slow, too, too this and that. And it was, but it's a culture of people that want to win, that have a little chip on their shoulder, have something to prove, uh, work together, have checked their egos at the door and we go out and win every year, you know? And so I've always thought, okay, let's let, I want to do this everywhere I go. And, and it's, it, some of the opposition that I've had has just been mind blowing. <laughs> like I'm, I'm trying to help us get in a better direction here and people just sometimes don't go for it. But, and I think that's a really great point, Mike, because maybe we did come in a little bit hot. Maybe we are slightly defensive, but that's because there's a fairly good percentage of people out there who maybe believe that culture is a mission statement on a web page and the seven minutes that they say at the all hands yearly meeting and yep. and nothing else right and so that's a i think a great segue into our second question what is culture in a business like nobody talked about business culture really until about the 1980s and so we're just becoming aware of it in terms of development and let's throw that out there for for people to consider what is the culture of a business so you had you know, baby boomers and post world war workers and rise of factory and industrialism things like that and and people were just largely happy to have jobs mm-hmm. uh, and so but then you get to the 80s and people are kind of second generation and they've had their own company and it's grown and split and things like that and now they need more now money is not just enough. There has to be another reason where there's meaning or connection or fulfillment or something that happens outside of just in tr- this transaction of I'm going to give you time and then you give me money in exchange and then that's it. So I think the rise of culture is just an understanding that humans are built for more than just transactions. Like there has to be uh, an overarching, you know, like you said, we use the word ethos and these things that, that really get to the core of who humans are. And I, I think, I don't know. I just think that the rise of it and the importance of it is just going to continue as, uh, as time, time goes on. You know, and for me, David, I think culture is the unwritten rules of allowable behavior within a company. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and some of those rules are great, and some of them are awful. And I think th- that's the difference between great culture and toxic culture. But it's a repre- it, representation of what it is when you're not there as the leader. Mm. Right, your culture, your culture lives with with or without you in the room. Mm-hmm. Right, and your culture is only going to be as great as the worst behavior that you tolerate. And, and I think that that for me, that's what that's what culture is. 
right? And and it's hard. It, it's there's a tremendous amount of work and intention that goes into developing and building great culture. But the thing is, is once you get it going, it becomes easy to a certain degree that there's an expectation that's built within the company, but it becomes hard because you have to fiercely protect those unwritten rules of what's allowable and what's not. Right. Almost as if culture is a, an employee or a part of the team. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's this model that I've always really liked about culture. It's called the cultural web. Um, it's pretty popular out there. And I had to look up uh, where it came from. Johnson and Shoals are the people that came up with it. And they, you know, they do a decent job breaking down, like, how to look at the culture of a company, right? And they break it down into six elements. The first is the stories and the myths around culture. So, you know, what are we doing? And did you hear this person did this in a previous life? And that was the start of the business and whatnot. There's also the rituals, which can be written and unwritten. There's the the third thing is the symbols. So you've got, you know, your environment, the dress code, uh, whether you use uniforms, how fancy your office is, that kind of thing. There's your organization chart as the fourth thing. And that's both the formal organizational chart and also sort of like the unofficial organizational chart or what Malcolm Gladwell talks about, like social power. Somebody walks into a room and they they sort of command presence and they have a lot of influence. The fifth thing is the the rules. Like I worked very in a very ill-advised job for a short period of time as soon as I got out of college in an incredibly uptight financial institution. And one of the rules was you weren't allowed to wear suspenders until you made vice president. That was part of the culture there, right? <laughs> as ridiculous as it sounds. Yep. And nobody can hear it, but Sean's trying really hard not to laugh. <laughs> and then the, the sixth thing is power. Yeah. And that power is some managers or department heads or people have a certain amount of power in their jobs or over somebody else's responsibilities or their pay or, you know, what they can do and what they can't do. And we can talk about all those things. This is sort of like an academic way to break it down. But I think that looking at it that way is really interesting because if you are a leader in a business, you know, some of those things you might have really squared away and then other things might be really uncontrolled and a negative in your business. Right. I got still processing that list. <laughs> yeah, it's a dense it's it's a dense list. It's yeah. definitely a dense list. Right. And I think Sean, I also think that you're right that culture can be implied and official, right? It can be the thing that it's the rule but also how the rule is enforced. And if you have a rule of a certain behavior, but you tolerate behavior that's less than that, that's what everybody's going to imitate is the less than that, because you've let it go, go along. And that necessarily becomes part of your culture. Yeah. You only get two weeks vacation, but everybody let you, let you take three or you get two weeks vacation, but nobody takes it until you've been there for two years. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or, or you, um, 
you you catch an employee talking down to you know someone below them on the org on the org chart, mm-hmm. right? And you allow that because you're tired. It's been a long week. It's Friday. You you know this is goes against your culture, but uh, well, I'll let this one slide. The second, you say you're going to let one slide, the whole thing starts sliding because someone else saw that, right? And you just allowed that behavior. So now you can't correct the next person because you, you didn't correct the first person, and that's where it's hard. But but again. When you start getting into in, into building brilliant culture, you have a great culture not when you as the leader have to pull that person aside and say, hey, that's not how we do this. A great culture is when another employee grabs that person and says, hey, we don't do that here. Right? That's what great culture looks like. But you as the leader have to make sure that you continue to reinforce the boundaries that are your culture. And that can be hard sometimes because it, it, it's it, conflicts coming. But if your culture means something to you, again, you will defend it fiercely. The uh, heard someone say the other day, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. And I think that's what Sean's talking about. You know, when you let things slide, everybody else is going to try to get away with it. That's just how humans are. That's just, <laughs> that's just how we learn that. We don't even have to be taught that. Um, no. But when Sean's talking about how things like it's fierce and it's tough conversations and it's work, but then it gets easier. It's it's responding to those first situations, you know, when when that first big incident happens or when uh, uh, the big time hire blows it or when, you know, whatever it is, responding to it with some intentionality sets the tone for how things are going to be handled in the future. And so, you know, it's. David, I think you just said the word behavior. That's a huge driver of culture. It's the behaviors that we, it's the choices and behaviors that we all contribute to. It's what makes our culture. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's moving and changing. You know, it's not a set thing. Culture changes every day. And, and I like what Mike said about responding intentionally. You know, like, like one of the things, one of the first big incidents for us was um, there was a competition at a, one of the positions on a pit crew. And there was an incumbent who had played in the NFL, was a tight end at uh, Florida in the, in the 49ers, and then, a, and then a young kid. And Mike and I had him go at it for about six weeks. And the young kid had set himself apart, and he was going to take the job. When we grabbed the incumbent, the former NFL guy, and said, hey, look, man, uh, the other kid's going to start. You're going to be the backup. He was also our strength and conditioning coach. He went back to his computer, and out of a fit of rage, he threw his pen at his computer, shattered the screen. Now, Mike and I had been coaches for just a little over a couple months. We could either ignore that or respond to it intentionally. So what we did is we grabbed him, said, um, you know, that behavior is no longer tolerated here. And what you're going to do is you're going to go to IT, you're going to have your computer fixed. And because you couldn't manage your emotions, you're wasting their time now. So after they fix your computer, you're going to ask all three of them where they'd like to go for lunch, and you're going to take them out for lunch and get to know them, right? We we could have just, like I said, we could have just sloughed that off. We could have just given them a slap on the wrist. But what, what we did was respond to it intentionally so that not only did he learn a lesson, but it sent a message to the rest of the company that, wow, this is the new culture in the picker department. Because right, we were the laughing stock. There were people that were not willing to work with us. You know, one lady told us um, she would work with us simply because you can't fall off the floor. That's how low the pit crew was, was thought of. So, again, I think there's always a chance to respond to something than, than 
without emotion, but with intentionality that sets the tone for the next experience. Yeah, I agree with that. And the woman who said you can't fall off a floor has never been to a Dartmouth fraternity party. <laughs> There's some gross places below the floor, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it's important. I think, I think these things are really important. I think it's important to recognize it's the way in which you enforce the culture that is actually part of the culture, right? Because you guys could have told that uh, monitor-breaking employee what he was going to do, and if you had told him to do it in a certain way, it may have even backfired, and he might have quit or it could have been a really ugly scene. But if you enforce the standard while respecting the person, I think that's almost the bigger part of the message, right? That you still dealt with him fairly and evenly and as a human being, but he did have to recognize that that behavior wasn't going to be part of the workplace anymore. So I think the way in which you do it sometimes is at least as important as what you actually do. Yeah, and, and, and that, that young man, we had some, some uh, disagreements over the next several months, but when he stepped away, ended up going back home to Florida, taking a new job, I mean, everybody hugged him. We enjoyed having him. I mean, it worked out, you know, like you, 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 I think people think that, and, and we'll talk more, I think one of our upcoming topics is about just having tough conversations, you know. That was a tough conversation for Sean and I. I mean, this guy's a lot bigger than both of us, you know. <laughs> you know? Um, but having them, like you said, with intentionality and with a with a destination in mind is, is super important. And, uh, and it's something that you want to protect when you know that, culture is an advantage. It could be a competitive advantage for you. You're willing to have those conversations. You want to talk to, you want to dive into that. And we've already segued into the third question about how does leadership affect culture? And that's sort of natural because it's the, what can I, all right, I'm listening. I agree with you guys. What can I do? And so, you know, we think about those six things in that, in that little model, what can a leader do to affect those things? And I think what we're talking about now, the way in which you enforce the rules or the way in which you deal with people is a huge part of being an example as a leader. Because I think a leader is an example and an influence over the culture. <laughs> You've got two ways to mess it up. You know, and I think we've, you know, we've talked about it prior is, is again, actions have got to parallel words, like have to, you, you don't do that. You don't even start with culture. You know, I think that's the first. And like you said, I think every time you can enforce or you can build, right? I can just come, I can just drop the hammer on you. And what is that? That gives me the, the power lift, right? As the leader, or you can build, you can be like, okay, this isn't our culture. This is why. This was the effect. This takes us this way. We want to go the other way, right? And, and really explaining to them um, where you're trying to go and, the, and, and almost empowering them that they're part of the journey. But we're not going anywhere. We're spinning our wheels if we can't get you on board. You know, so just, again, being, you know, I love the way Mike put it, being intentional. You know, being intentional about these conversations about culture and behavior that makes up the culture. 
Right, right. I agree with the being intentional. I want to clarify, though, it's not the intention of proving that you're right, or it's not the intention of proving that you can fire somebody and have a replacement in within 48 hours, which is actually something that one leader I worked with would say when he was frustrated, right? So the intention, almost we almost have to spell out the intention that works. And, you know, when you said if, you're, if your actions don't match your words, you can't even start with culture. I agree, but that's kind of assuming you can't even start having a positive culture. Because if your actions and words don't match, it, you always have culture. You always have what's expected, what's anticipated, and what people imitate. But if you are not matching your words and your actions, you, you do have a culture. It's just shit. And that means that the people that you're working with are going to imitate you. And they're going to do the exact same thing. And that's going to be bad for business. <laughs> having said all that, I think leading with the intention or having that having that conversation with the intention that you're going to treat somebody well and fairly, but enforce your expectations or the company's expectations of doing the right thing. I think that works out well. Yeah. It's, it's no different than, you know, the, the, the reason why <laughs> the news uh, continues to run day in and day out and the anchors make a ton of money for it is because negative news travels much faster than positivity. Right. And, you know, and, and it's what you guys are talking about on the from the intention standpoint. If, if you don't if you're not proactively driving the culture you're going to get and inherit just the normalcy of gossip and negativity and pessimism and this, this, everything's wrong and the industry's crashing and we can't get products, supply chains down. I mean, all that stuff will just rise to the surface unless you're actively doing something um, to drive mindsets and choices and behaviors in a different way. That's an excellent point. I love that. You know, and Dave, we've actually, you know, brought up this year, like we, we don't want, our guys talking about anything that could serve to divide us, you know, because again, we're setting up these camps, right. And, and all these, this tribalism has a, has a way of working itself into the organization and splitting people apart. And so it's one of the things that we started about um, with our expectations meeting at the start of the year was that if it's something that could divide us, it's not to be spoken of, you know, because, because again, you know, it, it just, culture is fragile and it's becoming harder and harder to protect. And so more intention has to be wrapped around it and more work's got to be thrown at it. But, but again, going all the way back, everything great lies on the other side of hard, right? So it, is it hard? Yes. But is it worth it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. How do you differentiate between having an honest debate or conversation between people who have different opinions or different approaches to a work problem and a rule that says, if it's going to divide us, we can't talk about it. I think they're two separate things, but how do you help people figure out the difference? I I think a a lot of times it's just calling them out on it, right? If, um, you know, if a conversation starts with let's go Brandon, 
or uh, someone calling Trump uh, Cheeto Jesus, I mean, we try to shut it down pretty quick because obviously it's starting with a level of disrespect to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. You're just mm-hmm. you're, you're you're just parroting, you know, talking points from either side, right? Like that doesn't mm-hmm. that doesn't serve to bring us together. Um, you know, it, it's it's not limiting speech; it's just understanding, respecting other people's opinions without, you know. Um, I guess thinking ill of them. I don't. I don't know that I have a a, a more concise way or a, a more Dartmouth way to put that. Um, I know <laughs> there's probably no one from the school listening. They're probably already. They wrote me off the second I I got my first NASCAR hard card. So, um, but do you know what I mean? Like it's, those are hard to get. So <laughs> I'm I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, you know you know what I'm saying. Like it's it's not that we're trying to limit conversation. We just are very let me I'm gonna jump in here for a second the yeah. so in because we haven't really touched on it but we're big on culture being a byproduct of environment um your your environment's the whole big big ecosystem the big you know these are our standards right this is this is what we're going to have to all agree on. But culture is going to change from person to person, department to department, uh, leader to leader. You know, um, I'll touch back on it at the end. But we say, you know, like your culture has to be rooted in your identity. You know, as a leader, you have to be authentic. And if so, well, that means that if we have four different leaders in whatever department, we're probably going to have four different cultures because they're probably going to if they're doing it right, going to do it a slightly different way. So that means that we have to have a culture that accepts that and in which we can talk about things that we disagree on, but our environment has to be one of unity. I don't know if that makes any sense. So if we have an agreement to where we're going to move forward in the same direction, that's like a given. That's a, that's a non, non, non-negotiable, but we can have disagreements, you know, along the way. I don't know if that makes any sense or clarifies it. I think it makes sense to me because in some ways it's kind of like, I can't believe I'm saying this. I, in some ways I think it's kind of like a good marriage where the, the ultimate commitment where, where, you know, sort of like together and we're holding this together, but I really sincerely disagree with this thing with our kids or this thing with the money or this thing in politics. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can have an honest conversation, but you stay away from making the other person so wrong that you can't have a partnership with them. And if you Mm -hmm. think about a company culture, Mike, the way you're describing it is that the overall environment is I'm, I've committed to, to our shared goals. Obviously it's less of a commitment than a marriage. And maybe you and I can talk about mostly work things that we don't agree with. And if we develop enough of a relationship, I can find out more about other non-work things that we might want to talk about. But I don't violate that overarching, what you're calling the environment, that overarching commitment that we're doing this together. And so that you and I can then go off and change tires, make a presentation, pitch a client, develop a product, even though I know that in certain areas of life, you would pick different options than I would. Is that kind of what you're saying? 
Yeah, but 100%. You said it a lot better than I said it. <laughs> yes. I had the benefit of being able to listen to you <laughs> yeah. come up yeah, with the exactly. idea. Exactly. But yes, you have to, uh, you know, it, it's, culture is going to gonna change. It's going to ebb and flow. Uh, but our standards, our how, uh, the, the big things, the, the big vision that you continually are hopefully reinforcing, bringing up, updating, um, that, that can't change, but you know, how we get there, pivoting stuff like that, that's culture. That's where that happens. Yeah, I agree. And that we, I think we just go right to the fourth question with, yeah, still. with that, cause we're almost already talking about it. And that is what can a leader do to make their culture better? And I, when I, when I was thinking about this question, I sort of stopped with better. What does better mean exactly? I think for a certain type of individual, better means a, t- a certain type of individual who's a leader, better means I get more money, I don't have hard conversations, I can tell people what to do, and I look really good. Hmm. That I don't think is a very good goal to go after or set of goals. I think uh, making the culture better means that yes, it's better for your business and your profitability, but it's also better for your people, the people that you work with and the communities that your business is in, right? So it's your coworkers, families and your competition and your industry and the, and the, the different sets of people that you affect by, by running this business. And so that's a, I guess that's a more detailed version of the question. What can a leader do to make the culture of his or her business or department or team better in that way? I I wrote down just three quick things. Uh, One, realize the import, realize culture's importance realize that this needs to occupy a decent amount of thought when it comes to the forward vision, the goals we want to accomplish, you know, strategic planning, there needs to be a session on culture where, you know, audit it. Where are we get some feedback? You know, do we have a good one, bad one? Where do, where do people stand with our culture? And, um, so that's it. Realize that culture is important. Like I said, we had a, a GM and a, you know, just say our, our, our culture is fixed now. It's, it's not something that is, is, it's like it's broken and then you can fix it real quick. It's gotta be maintained. And, um, it's just like you said, a good marriage. You can't like, you know, go on a good vacation, have a great series of dates, do everything on the honey do list and then be like, all right, our marriage is fixed now. Right. Like that, that doesn't, eventually that runs out, you know? So, um, and then I but had, Sean, you still have to do the honeydew list, even though it Sean, doesn't always, fix everything. Always, always never ending. Yeah. Like, I hope, uh, yeah. Hopefully Jane's not listening. Bread sticks, bread sticks at uh, Olive Garden. Never. He just, he just keeps coming and coming. <laughs> the bottomless pasta bowl. <laughs> and, and Jane, if you are listening, I'm really sorry. I led him into yeah. his comparing your marriage to the breadsticks at Olive Garden. Yeah. But, oh, she's watering the 20 roses I'm going to have to plant here. So that's, uh, that's great. It's great. Great timing. <laughs> I was going to say also uh, real quick, uh, build in time to value the people you work with. Uh, I think a lot of people check 
it's very rarely have I ever, I just kind of, when I go in people's offices and see a to-do list, I just look at it. I'm just curious to see. I know, I know it's being nosy and it's none of my business, but rarely have I ever seen someone just write on, you know, check in with so-and-so, write a letter to this person, call somebody, you know, those are, we talk about culture. I mean, the, the biggest driver of culture is, is people that feel valued. Right. That, I mean, that's you can't you can't cheat that, change it, shortcut it. If people feel valued, your culture is going to drive faster than someone else who's who where people don't feel valued. So just build time in like create. That's a part of my day on Thursdays. I just call people and check in with them and just make sure they're doing OK. That's it. And then lastly, uh, like I say, your culture has to be rooted into t- your your identity, you know, like your however you lead, be authentic. You know, so um, people are going to have a hard time following you if you're trying to be someone you're not. So be you the best version of you and uh, makes it makes it easy. Yeah, I, I would have to echo Mike's sentiments, David. I think make you have to understand how to make people feel valued. You know, one of the first things we did, you know, when we got to where we got to was they had uh, seven lockers for 26 guys, right? So the seven guys that had been there the longest or that were buddies with the coach, they got a locker. Everyone else had to haul their shit to and to and from the building. <laughs> and there were these giant lockers. And we're like, we can get rid of these giant lockers. We can build 21 lockers and then everyone's got a locker. It's such a small, insignificant thing when you look back on it. But great culture is in the aggregate, right? It, it's, it's, it's making people feel valued in a myriad of ways. And that's, you know, the question is, you know, what can a leader do to make their culture better? Understand how to make people feel valued. Second, make a list, right? If you're stuck on that list, start with the, with the golden rule, right? Treat others like you would like to be treated. Write a list of the things that you, that you like when people do. They say thank you. They tell you great job when you, you know, you, you do something well. Um, you know, they, they recognize great efforts, right? And then migrate the golden rule to the platinum rule, right? Which is to, to treat others how they would like to be treated. And that starts with, with an understanding of who's working for you, right? And, and again, that comes as this relationship builds and you value people, you get more from them and you also develop a better understanding of them. And then what you can do is you can address the factors that drive human performance so that you move forward together. And that's what culture looks like. I, I agree with all that. I really like the idea of creating a habit of appreciation and recognition. You know, Mike's Thursday calls. And I think that if you develop that habit of appreciating somebody to their face, it, it starts to happen organically, right? And so you don't have to try as much because, you know, our our brains are pattern seeking machines. So if we start a habit of showing people appreciation or recognizing somebody in front of the crowd for what they've done or how they handled failure, since we've talked about failure a bit, that can be really positive and our brains will start to start to recognize that pattern when it happens. So I, I really, really like that. The, the other thing that I think that works out really well is figuring out I almost want to say figuring out what your problems are right 
So personally, you look at your own behavior, you look at what you've said, does it match? Can you find something that's different between the official and the unofficial or the spoken and the unofficial and the spoken and the unspoken, right? And that could be job descriptions, right? Somebody's got a certain job that they're supposed to do, but actually they spend 90% of their time doing something else. It could be the hours that you, you know, enforce or that you expect. It can be, you know, depending on your level of seniority and how much budget control you have, you know, maybe you've got a fancy office, but your department or your company's fragile financially. People can pick up on stuff like that. And obviously the difference between what you do and what you say. And so I think there's an awful lot that leaders can do to affect their culture in a unofficial way by what they do and say, but also in an official way by the rules and policies and procedures. It sounds like that's a, it's almost like that's a a full-time job outside of your full-time job. You know, it's like you, you have this, these tasks and things you have to do, but then there's also a significant amount of time that, and energy that I think has to go into making sure your culture is healthy. Yeah. Culture is like meditation. You know, it's important yet. We still, a lot of us don't do it. We don't, don't allocate the necessary resources to it. the, The necessary time to it, even though we know how important it is. I think with meditation and you know, maybe recognizing somebody, if you're all in a group or if you're passing by somebody or you're writing email, is is it really that big of an effort to single somebody out and say, hey, I know, you know, this was tough, great job on it, right? Or when the whole group is together, everything worked out with, you know, such and such because Mike did, you know, Mike did this and that was a really great call, right? I mean, sometimes we're talking about 10, 15 seconds, but there's a, there's a hesitation in that, I think, because there's a little bit of fear. What, what's going to bubble up when I sit down to meditate? What's going to bubble up when I call somebody out in a positive way, right? Do I have to keep doing that? What does that mean about our organization? You know, how do I handle the failures? So I think the challenge isn't, oh my God, you know, it's going to take me four hours a day to, to work on my culture. I think the challenge is more, I almost have to get over myself and, and, and make this effort because it's going to help me. It's going to help them and it's going to help my business, even though it might feel a little weird in the beginning. Yeah, I can personally vouch for the uh, feeling of uneasiness in my stomach when I know I have a ton of stuff I need to get done, <laughs> but then there's somebody that's having some kind of breakdown or 911, and they need, just need they just need to talk to their leader. They need to talk to somebody that they trust and respect. And I'm like, I really want to get this done. I got stuff to do. I want to get home. But you just have to know in that moment, I'm we're, I'm making the culture better, and this is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the lockers that you guys talk about, my version of that in a different business was parking passes. And so the, the rule of the business was that you had to make a hundred grand to get a parking pass. Right. 
and certain people got parking passes and certain people didn't. And there was a guy who was, you know, on the executive team, but he didn't have a parking pass. And so I asked, well, the rule is you have to make $100,000. And so I go over to accounting and said, you know, uh, how much does this guy make a year? Oh, he makes 99500 I was like, okay, um, we have to order him a parking pass. Uh, you have to make 100000 I said, well, I'll give you two choices. You can order him a parking pass, or I'm going to give him a retroactive raise. And so he got a parking pass. Because <laughs> <laughs> it would and, be unthinkable to just pay him 501 more dollars, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, Sean, like, you said, it's such a small thing. It is such a small thing. And I would have liked to give the entire company parking passes, but, you know, honestly, a lot of people rode their bikes in and whatnot. But this guy felt maligned because he was sitting in on these meetings. He was having all these expectations. He was in a group where he didn't have a parking pass. And here we are my God, 10 years later. And, you know, when I talk to him, sometimes he still brings it up. It was so meaningful to him. And I imagine the same thing was true with the 20 guys that got lockers that day. It is, David. And you make a great point. Building great culture, there's no, there's nothing that is too small. Because you have no idea where that kind word or that kind action meets somebody. Right? And, and like we said... Again, it's 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 uh, going back to James Clear. It's the aggregation of marginal gains. It's you know thanking people. It's getting them a parking pass and getting them a locker. And you know what I mean. And that's how it builds. So if you, you know, if if you're going around thinking, okay, no, it's too small to change change the tide. If that's too, you're missing it, right? You you and great culture needs to be front of mind, right? You said you know why don't we walk past someone, and you know take 10 seconds to say thank you or great job. And I think a lot of that is just because it's not front of mind. You know, you have the sales projections and you have, um, you know, new onboarding and you have all these other things and it's just not top of mind. If you can somehow change that thinking where it becomes top of mind, man, you really could create something. Yeah, I want to add two quick practical things about how a leader can affect culture. One of them is hiring because the person that you hire affects your culture greatly and you have to be very very cognizant of that so yes you have to be cognizant of the skills the person has they have to be able to code or use dreamweaver or do pivot tables or jack a car up but their attitude and their ability to support and add to the culture is really, really important. And I think one measure of how important it is, is that, you know, we all have that onboarding process, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what your group is, the new person is usually a little standoffish or they hold back a little bit because they have to figure out the culture, right? I don't know what the done thing is. And when they make a connection, oftentimes their questions are, hey, is it is it okay if I wear suspenders or is it, you know, does everybody bring their lunch in or, you know, how does this work? Because they want to be part of 
the culture and, and add to it. So I think hiring is a really, really big piece of it. And the other piece of it, I think that really affects culture is your communication. Is it transparent? Is it consistent? Is it allowed? So if you've got two guys on your team and one of them doesn't think that something's going right, are they allowed to say something to somebody else? Is that okay? Will that be, will you punish two guys who are sitting there talking about, well, no, I think actually we should do it this way. Or do you walk over and say, let's talk about this. I don't, maybe it's a good idea. Maybe it sucks. I don't know. But is it, is it okay for them to talk about it or is it my way or the highway? So that communication piece I think is really, really big. No, I agree, I agree, Dave. And I think that, again, links to valuing someone, right? If you think it's yeah. your way or the highway, you have no culture. You have a dictatorship. You know, it's, it's allowing that person to respond and respond with their idea or thought or belief, um, again, shows, shows that you value that. And, and I think that's, you have a far better chance of getting it right when you start adding brains to the decision-making process. Not always. Sometimes. <laughs> True. Sometimes. All this talk about culture and what leaders do remind, just triggered a memory of my uh, grandfather, actually, who was a insurance executive. And as he got older, he got more and more responsibility. And I don't know, I was a little kid. There was a whole floor of the insurance company downtown New York that he was responsible for. And apparently he would spend a day walking that entire floor and he would stop at people's desks. Hey, you're new here. What's going on with this? I remember you. Did your daughter graduate? Great. How was that? Maybe I have the exact specifics wrongs. Maybe it was a day, a month. I can't remember. But I do remember as a little guy walking behind him in a suit while he went and talked to people. And he was quite successful at it sounds like a uh, a bright and brilliant culture you know that where the leaders are intentional and people were valued and unfortunately a lot of places are frozen cultures or fearful or you know you go down the list because of the opposite and so I think uh, you know just to kind of for me to sum it up you know it culture is driven by leaders it is up to us to to make the difference and to to help this be, you know, these places that we walk into or log into each day be places where our, you know, where, the, where brilliance is, is rewarded and, and where people flourish. That might be a good, maybe a good way to end it. I'm like, I'm thinking I can't top that. I don't think I can either. I hope people have taken some practical tips out of this and we're looking forward to talking to you guys next week. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. See you.